Good morning. How's everybody? Y'all survived the holidays? Yes, somewhat, no. Uh, well, welcome. Good morning. My name's Dustin, and I'm the student pastor here at Taylor's. And welcome over there to the worships, um, or from here, over here from the worship center to the fellowship hall in modern worship. And over there, if I'm on the screen and I'm 10 pounds heavier, it's because I am, all right? Um, <laughs> listen, I ate... I was in so many food comas over the holidays. Anybody just want to confess that? Okay. I know I lost complete self-control at grandma's house. And then you, you take that with, with Christmas and then you throw in all the bowl games, you know, and eating all like the tailgate appetizer food. And um, so tomorrow I will be um, working out for the first time in several months. So if you see me Wednesday at the gym and I'm like all stiff like this, you will know why, because I'll be working muscles I haven't worked out uh, in a long time. But it is great to be here. It's a privilege. Um, Paul is out of town, uh, spending some time with his, his family on vacation. And it is an honor to be in here and have the opportunity to share. And um, just I'm thankful to have a pastor that allows um, someone like me to come up and just to dig into God's word together. And I don't know about you. I don't know what your family does for Christmas but um, I, I love the Christmas season. And between then and now, it just seems like whether it is peppermint white mochas at Starbucks or gingerbread lattes or going and seeing all the crazies with their lights shows and all that stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Did y'all see any Christmas light shows? Um, doing that to, I, I really enjoy as a dad um, we do an advent calendar, um, Jesse Tree thing with our boys. And so the whole month of December, we're really reading different stories, going throughout the scripture, um, anticipating, celebrating Christmas and, and all those things. So I, just, I love Christmas. I love the songs um, other than Christmas shoes because they play that song. I try to go every year without hearing that song. Um, now, don't get me wrong. It's a good song. 10 years ago, but now it's like they play it every, you know, I don't know if you're like that. Maybe it's just me, but I love Christmas songs and just the Christmas season is great. But the, my favorite thing about Christmas is now that I'm a dad and have been a dad, I love seeing our kids, our three boys during Christmas season. And if you're with me as parents, you understand this, whether it is the excitement over the Christmas lights and they were helping me uh, put Christmas lights on the house and they were excited to Christmas Day, opening up presents and seeing just the, the anticipation of them waking up early and like they are chomping at the bit to open up those presents, you know. And um, luckily our kids slept in a little bit. I'm sorry for those of you who like have kids that wake up at five and want to open it. Um, but, and for us, everything this Christmas was Star Wars related. Anybody else like that? Like our kids, it was all Star Wars and um, it was crazy. But Here's the thing that as I was kind of thinking about what to share and what to talk about, and I really come to, came to the conclusion that really over the last six months, if, if not even longer, God has really been stirring something in me. And I just want to be honest and share my heart this morning to you. And, and I shared a little bit of my heart um, uh, to the students on fall retreat about some of the stuff we're going to talk about this morning. But it is this whole concept and this idea of viewing God as our heavenly father. And, and there's something like for me, when I became a dad, everything changed in my life. And, and I'm not just talking about, oh, three more mouths to feed. If you don't know our story, me and Sloan, we adopted our three boys. And um, so in a matter of nine months, 
we went from zero kids to three kids. <laughs> and and um, when we brought our youngest one home, Noah, from the hospital, at that time, we had a two-year-old, an 11-month-old, and a newborn. And so we didn't get any sleep. It was lots of changing diapers and uh, late nights, you know, feedings and all that kind of stuff. And it was crazy. But when I became a dad, something changed. And it's not just bills and expenses and thinking, oh, I got three boys. What about car insurance? <laughs> you know, think about that. And, and then it's like, oh, then college. And luckily, God gave us a break because we don't have girls and we don't have to pay for three weddings. <laughs> and so um, sorry about that if you have daughters. But... Um, and, and it's not about that, but when, I, when we had our boys, something changed in me when I started to love my kids un unconditionally. And, and if you're a parent this morning, you, you understand what I'm talking about, that when you have a child, when you become a parent, you sacrifice, you love, you cherish, you will do anything for your kids. I mean, I understand now as a grown man why my parents shopped at Walmart. They shopped at Walmart so I could have the nicer clothes. You know, and, and so I understand those things, but, but even bigger than that is that when I became a dad, my view of God completely changed. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that, is that up until I became a dad, I didn't fully understand God as our heavenly father, that I had a hard time really, and I would compare God in some ways to my earthly father. And I think for a lot of us, we struggle with that tension. We struggle with, okay, what is it like? It's hard for us to comprehend who God is as our heavenly father. And so for me, kind of my story, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And, you know, sure, there was great times where me and my dad would be out throwing the ball in the yard or he would take me to baseball practice or, you know, we'd go to Six Flags or something like that. But really, when I reflect on my childhood, I don't think I ever really felt, love, felt loved by my dad. Sure, I mean, he, he said it. I mean, that's what dads do. But I just, I, it was a hard time gripping that. And then, those of you who don't know, I went away to college. And when I went away to college, um, my dad committed credit card fraud against me. And he racked up over $13,000 in credit card stuff. And I get home from college and trying to get an apartment. And it's just crazy. And so all this baggage I bring to the table. And so when it comes to my relationship with God, it was just hard for me to really understand fully what it means as God, our father. And you see, because my dad, I mean, my dad was a big dude. At least when you're, when, when you're little, he, he, was, he was a big guy, six foot tall. He's about 250, 60 pounds, and he had bare hands, okay? And I'll never forget. I mean, my dad was the dad that my mom would always say, you wait till your dad gets home. You know what I'm talking about? And some of you are like, yep, that was my dad. And um, see, my mom, she, she probably hate me. Hopefully she's not listening to this or watching this online. Um, but she, she would spank me with a wire coat hanger, how about that, okay? And like now you're like, DSS, okay. <laughs> but, and I called her Mommy Dearest one time. If you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. That didn't go so well, all right? That, I was like, no more wire, wire coat hanger. She's like, ah, okay. But um, that didn't go so well. But my dad, I mean, he would spank and discipline with those big old bare hands. And I remember this time 
where, and this is kind of like defined by dad because um, I was, I think I was like 11 or 12 and the students have heard this story before, but I was at a birthday party right across the street with, here, here I am, I'm a middle school guy and some high school girls are across the street for a sweet 16 birthday party. You think I want to be over there? Yes, okay? So I'm over there and my parents gave me one rule. Be home by, I think, 10 o'clock or whatever. Be home by 10 o'clock. I'm like, okay. I have my little brother with me. He's eight. So I'm 12. He's eight. And the girls decided to, they wanted to walk to McDonald's for whatever reason. I mean, teenagers do stupid stuff sometimes. So we, we, I was like, okay, well, I want to do that. And so I looked, and it's like five minutes till I'm supposed to be home. And I was like, let's go. I tell my brother, we're going. I was kind of like, I'll ask for forgiveness later or something. And so we walk. It's a two and a half mile walk. Okay. <laughs> and so we walk, we're cutting through neighborhoods, whatever. We cut, and then we, we get there. And ironically enough, McDonald's was closed. All right. This is before 24 hours. So I'm like, okay, now I'm really going to get it. So I get home, we get there and we lived on top of this hill and we're coming up the hill from the cul-de-sac. And at the top, here it is, I don't know, one, two o'clock in the morning. And it's me, 12 years old, and my eight-year-old brother. And I see the silhouette of my dad at the top of the hill. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is going to be bad. So I'm like walking up, just praying that something, I don't even know. I, didn't, I wasn't even a Christian then, but I was praying. And, and so I get up there. And my dad chases my younger brother into the neighbor's yard and just starts whipping him, all right? And so he's like, get in the house. So I'm like, okay, okay. So I get into the house and I run upstairs and I lock my door. I don't know why I did that. Don't do that, all right? Don't do that, kids. Don't lock your door. Lock my door and I hear my, my dad just spanking my brother all the way up the stairs into his bedroom, which was next to mine. It's no daddy, no daddy. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, listen how arrogant I was at 12. I'm thinking, I'm 12. He can't spank me. <laughs> you know, I was like, he said spanking my brother. I'm going to get like that four hour lecture and get my Nintendo taken away, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh-uh. All right. My dad's like, boom, boom, boom. Open up this door. Why'd you lock this door? And before I know, I'm telling you, it was like a flashbang from a SWAT team. Okay. <laughs> Bam, my dad kicks down the door, right? Kicks down the door and it wears me out. And I'm not kidding, that saying that, you know, spanking, that you won't be able to sit down for days, that happened to me, all right? On the whole bus ride to school that week, I'm like sitting with my hands propped up. Now, I don't want my rear end to hit the bumpy seats um, on the bus. But that's just how I viewed my dad. I viewed my dad as this huge disciplinary guy. And I think that we have a tendency that we view God as this huge disciplinary guy up in the heavenly cloud somewhere that's waiting for us to mess up and to stomp down our door and to say, I'm coming after you. You messed up again. You're, you're just a big mess up. You're never going to get it right. And now you're going to pay for it. Here's the consequences to your sin. And here's the thing is that I feel like our lives as followers are often, instead of being driven by grace and forgiveness and by a loving, loving father, our lives are driven by this fear of disobedience from an angry father. That, that we kind of walk on eggshells. That's how I, I felt with my dad. Like a lot of times I just kind of walked on eggshells. I didn't know if he was going to blow a fuse or, or what was going to happen. And I didn't really know. And I feel like in our relationship with God, that because we view God that way, that we often kind of walk on eggshells. 
not really knowing where we are and standing with God. We hope we're in good standing. We want to be in good standing. No one's like, oh, I want to be in bad standing with God. We hope that, but we still have this uncertainty. And then we end up, because we're driven by this fear, this unhealthy fear of disobedience, our lives end up being a life all about doing. That it's about this, this checklist of chores, of, of doing things so we can stay in good standing. We don't want to make our heavenly father mad. So we have to do this, 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 and this, and don't do these things. And, and, and all of a sudden, and hear me out, I'm not saying not to obey God. I'm not saying that. But there's this unhealthy fear of don't make heavenly father mad. It's just, and so I'm just going to do this checklist thing. And that's why I, I really think that our world says things like, and we've probably heard this a thousand times. I know I have, have heard people say, well, I need to clean up my act before I come to God. I need to do these things before I come to God. And it's this fear of disobedience. But what if, instead of living in this unhealthy fear of disobedience, we began to live and looking at our heavenly father, not as a, this... Um, disciplinary, pointing down to heaven, but we started to say he is a good, good father. He is our heavenly father that loves us and cares for us. And I'm not just saying that you just go and have cheap grace and you just go and do whatever you want and he'll always be there. I'm not saying that's the lifestyle you should live, but what if our view changed of him? Because I think that if we change, and instead of living in a fear of disobedience and just about doing, if we lived a life by grace and forgiveness, it would be, our lives would be more about who we are becoming. That we are trying to become more like our Heavenly Father. And I love what A.W. Tozer says in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says, the most important thing that comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. The way that we view God determines how you live your life. If you view God as some distant God, then you're probably going to have a distant relationship with him. If you view God as a loving father, I mean, think about the implications of how you view God. It's going to determine how you parent your kids, how you love your spouse, how you interact with your coworkers, how you care for your neighbors, how you um, participate as a church member. It's going gonna, it's gonna to do all. If you just see God as kind of get out of jail free card and you just come to church on Sunday, that, then that's about it. So how you view God determines how you live your life. And, and this morning, I want to look at a story in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. And this isn't like your typical loving um, father uh, example, cliche. Usually in this, um, we'll, we'll look at the story, the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. If you've been in church anytime, you probably have heard that, where this son blows his inheritance that his father gave, comes back. And instead of a dad being one who says, you're just a mess up son, you blew up all that money. I worked hard for that money. Instead, he, he sees him off in the distance, jumps off that porch, goes and hugs him, puts a robe on him and says, let's have a party. My, my son is back. And what a great, great story. And Paul preached on that a couple months ago. But I want to look at a story of the hev our heavenly father working through a father 
and how, and how this portrays an incredible example of how we should view God, not as this huge disciplinary walk on eggshells, live in fear, but as a God who loves us and cares for us and does amazing, amazing things. Because the truth is, every single one of us, whether you've been in church your whole entire life, or this is your first Sunday, or if you are outside these doors right now, Every single one of us needs a loving father. We need a loving dad that can wrap his arms around us and care for us. And so look at this story uh, with me in the, in the book of Mark, chapter 5, starting in verse 21. It says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So what you see here, Jesus has actually just healed a man with a demon, and he's coming across the sea, his boat, you know, lands, and everybody's there. They want, they want to know who this Jesus guy is. They're hearing stories. They're, they probably have gotten word already about, about what he's done with this man. So there's this huge crowd there. And in verse 22, it says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And then he, uh, he went with him. So get this. So there's this huge crowd. Jesus just gets off the boat and Jairus comes over. He, he, I can just see him breaking through the crowd. He falls at Jesus' feet and he says, hey, Jesus, my little daughter is about to die. I need you to come and help. I need you to lay hands on her. Will you come so that she can have life and be made well? So Jesus is like, sure, let's go. So as they're going, you're going to see in this next um, passage um, and section of Scripture, um, some theologians say it's a miracle within a miracle because on their way to go see Jairus's daughter, then they're walking through crowds and, and a young lady who has a blood disease touches Jesus's garment. And from that, she is healed and he heals her. And it's just an incredible story. And so as you can imagine, everybody's like, oh, you know, like, man, Jesus is doing amazing things. And there's this crowd that's there. And this is where the story with Jairus picks back up in verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, get this, he says this, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And then he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And then when he had entered, he said to them, I don't really understand this, and I guess it's Jesus, so he can say whatever. But Jesus asked the question, why are you making a commotion and weeping? And I, I want to be like, duh, our daughter is just dead, Jesus. That's why we're crying. We're upset. Our daughter is dead. And then Jesus responds. He says, the child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside. And he took the child's father and mother 
and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Let me, let me time out right there. So here is Jairus, and we see throughout the Gospels that this is his only daughter. And she's about to die, and he goes off, no, no telling how far he traveled to see Jesus. He falls on Jesus' feet. I mean, consider the desperation that Jairus has right here. His only daughter, I'm just telling you right now, if someone walked in these doors and told me that my son is dead, that I need to go home, the desperation that's in me, I mean, just thinking and talking about it, I'm getting anxiety. And so Jairus, he goes and has nothing else to do um, and no other resources. I can imagine being a ruler of the synagogue, he probably had some money, tried to use some influence or some resources to try to get the best care or medicine for, for um, his daughter. And at the very end, he's like, you know what? I got to go see Jesus. And so he goes to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he says, Jesus, come. I need you to help my daughter. She's about to die. And so they're traveling. But could you imagine, dads, imagine this if you're a dad or mom even. And you get, you get word that your daughter is dead. And you show up to your house. And your wife is crying. Your family members are weeping. I'm just going to tell you right now, if I was Jairus, I would probably have some guilt going on. I didn't do enough. I saw Jesus too late. It took me too long. Now my wife is going to hate me because I didn't hurry up. What am I going to tell my friends and my family? So just imagine the vulnerability of Jairus right here. That he shows up and he, he is just... I mean, I can just imagine so open and vulnerable in this state. And Jesus is like, listen, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And then he takes, imagine this moment. He takes mom and dad, has some of his disciples, and they go in to where the daughter is. And they're looking at their daughter's body. I mean, that, that's an intimate moment right there. That is a precious moment for a father and a mother to see their daughter. And what does God, our heavenly father, do through his son Jesus being um, a, a great father and then looking into a, a daughter of God? Listen to what, it, what he says. It says in verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. They were overcome with amazement. So in that moment, Jesus reaches down, almost as a father to his daughter, holds her by the hand and says, little girl, get up, rise up. She gets up and she's walking. And it says the parents, of course, were, um, they, they were immediately overcome with amazement. As I would be, I'd be like, what just happened here? I'm amazed. That is, that is amazing. And you want to know why they were amazed? Because they saw a good, good father do something great. 
And here's the thing, if there's nothing that you hear this morning, if you're taking notes, if you want to write things down, and you walk away and you don't hear anything this morning, and maybe you're just tired because all the bowl games wore you out and you stayed up late and watched TCU and Oregon duke it out or whatever, that this is what I want you to understand, is that right here, Jairus, he was desperate. And this is the thing that I think is true about our lives, is that we are distant from God because we're not desperate for God. We are distant from our heavenly father and don't have this, okay, God, you are a loving father, a good, good father. And we don't understand that and we're distant from that because we're not desperate for God. You see Jairus right here, he is he, he is desperate as everybody, anybody else could be. And he runs to the feet of Jesus and he has no other way to heal his daughter. He runs and he says, God, Jesus, I need you. He's desperate for him. And I think we get spoiled and in, in here we are in 2016 in American Christianity where we're like, God bless America. And okay, but God has blessed America. He's blessed every single one of us in this room. Maybe not the way that we like, but God has blessed us because he loves us and he cares for us. And I think, unfortunately, what ends up happening in our lives is things get in the way and we're not desperate for God. We, we, we come to church on Sundays, we talk about God at church and that's about it. Say the blessing a couple times here in the South. You know, you got to say that, but we're, we're not desperate for him. We have more priority and time wrapped up in our home or our cars or our retirement plans or our kids in sports and all these different things. And those things are good and God can use those things, but we need to be desperate for God. Only God can satisfy all those things. And, and, and let me just, let me pause right here and I'm not trying to beat you up, but I just, I just got to say this because it's been in my heart and I'm speaking to myself too. But if this morning you're here and you're a dad, I just want to share this kind of with you. The greatest thing that you can do as a father for your family, and I'm not saying that I'm good at this or perfect at this. I could do a better job at this for sure. But the greatest thing that you can do as a dad for your family is to be desperate for God. The greatest thing that you can do as a man, and I'm just telling you, I've been in student ministry long enough. And I'm not, I'm not throwing this out as a judgmental net to try to capture somebody. I'm not doing that. But I've been in it long enough, and I've had conversations with dads who think that it is better for them. They are being a better dad, making lots of money, and not discipling their family. And because they have lots of money and can provide, 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 that they're not, that, that's it. That's like the, the shallow end of what their relationship um, of discipling their family looks like. And what ends up happening is that we live in a society, and I don't have to tell you, I've told our students, I think the biggest epidemic that is facing our teenagers right now is entitlement. And through that, I think it's because we give things and materialistic things or whatever. And I know I'm guilty as a dad. I want to give my kids the, the greatest Star Wars, whatever. I want to give them nice things. Uh, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But what ends up happening, I've seen it time and time again, is that you have students 
who don't see a dad desperate for God, and when they graduate high school and they go off to college, dad didn't need God, and I don't need God either. And so dad, I, dads, I, just, I, I beg you, be desperate. That's the greatest gift. And not just, let's just do this and do this. Let's go to church. We got to go to this study, and we got we to pray here. I'm saying disciple your kids. That looks different. That might be anything from saying, to your preschool or elementary school kid, that might be like, man, look at the awesome stars tonight. Did you know God made those stars? You know, you know, that might be dads praying at night with your family, praying with your kids. That might be taking your daughter out on dates and telling her how beautiful she is and how God created her. So when some sleazeball at 16 comes and tells her she's good looking, it doesn't throw it all off kilter. <laughs> to disciple and to, and to show, I, as a dad, I want my kids to know I need God. I make mistakes and I need him. And what an exa- incredible example of Jairus right here who is desperate for God. And because of that, and I love what he says, Jesus turns to him and he says, do not fear only believe. Do not fear, only believe. He didn't say, man, because here's the, here's the view of the disciplinary God. Sorry, Jairus, consequences have sin, bro. <laughs> maybe go pray five times. May, maybe I'll, I'll do something about it. You know what? You haven't been to church lately. Better get your suit on. We're going to have a funeral. No, he turns to him and he says, do not fear. Only believe. And what if in 2016, here we are, and I know we have New Year's resolutions. Like I said, I'm going to start working out. Hold me accountable, all right? (laughs) Call me names like fatty and stuff. Um, So, but we all have resolutions. Maybe it's to get out of debt, all those different things. But what if our view of God changed? And we said, you know what? It's no longer just this God who's angry and I walk on eggshells and I feel like he's like, my dad is going to kick in this door like SWAT team member and this, this, you know, it's all about consequences of sin. What if we viewed him and said, God is a loving, loving father. And he just like in this moment where Jesus grabs this girl's hand, he is grabbing your hand this morning in 2016 and he's holding it and he's whispering to you right now, get up and live Get up and live. Get up and be desperate for me. Get up and don't, don't worry. Sure, I mean, maybe two, 2015 was a rough year. Maybe, maybe you lo- lost a loved one or maybe you, you know, lost some money or went into debt about something or whatever the case may be. Maybe you lost your job or maybe you have grandkids that are going through a situation. I, I, I don't know, but Whatever it is, what if in 2016 we turned and said, God, it is all about you. And here's the deal is that when we change our view and we see that we need God's love and that we we see him as a loving, good father, we can't point fingers at everybody else saying, you're not as good as me. You're not as good as me. You, you need to dress like this. You need to act this way. What, what are you doing here? Or I can't believe my neighbor does that. We say, you know what? God loves them too. He's a loving father and he wants to speak to them and grab them by the hand and say, 
Son, daughter, little girl, little boy, rise up. I love you. I care for you. As a dad, I love my boys. Sure, do I get frustrated at them sometimes? Yeah. And in life, my boys are going to disappoint me. They're going to make some dumb mistakes. They're going to do some things, maybe even into adult, adulthood, that I, I don't agree with. And yeah, that's going to break my heart. But my job as a dad is not to condemn them for their sins. It's to unconditionally love them and to know that their daddy loves them no matter what. That even in times, me and Sloan, we try to be good about this because, like I said, when I was disciplined, and some of y'all will say amen to this, but when I was disciplined, like my parents disciplined me out of anger. And we, Sloan and I, we tried to every time, and I might have shared this before, that it's hard. I mean, I understand why my dad was like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You're the one spanking my bottom. <laughs> How is that hurting you? But now I understand. I, I, I hate it. But then there's always a time where I sit down and I look at my kids after a spanking or getting a timeout or whatever, and I say, I love you. I love you so much. And there is nothing that could take that away. And so I love what John writes, John 3.16. We all know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But we usually stop right there because in, in verse 17, John continues. And, and this is what he says. He says that he, he didn't send his son to condemn the world. He, he, he says, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, that means to point out sin, to say, hey, you're just a big mess up. He, he didn't send Jesus to do that. Our heavenly father didn't sacrifice his son to come and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're a mess up. But it says he sent him into the world in order that the world might be saved through him. Because of, he's a loving father. He loves us and cares for us and wants us to come to him. So I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're struggling with this idea. And, that, and that's okay. I, I, was, I, was in, I was in those shoes. And maybe you're, you have a hard time grasping God as a heavenly father because of the relationship that you have with your earthly father. Or, or maybe you feel distant from God. And the reason that you're distant from God is because you're not desperate for God. And you put all these other priorities and different things in place instead of just trusting in God. I don't know, I don't know what, what you have this morning. And uh, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to close this out. But I want to challenge you to look, to look at God a little bit differently in 2016. And, and I will say, dads, maybe you want to spend some time talking to God. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for some things that you're currently doing. Maybe it was something that you did in the past. Maybe you're not loving your, your family the way you should be. You're stepping up and loving your kids the way you should be. I think we, every dad in here should be guilty of that. And what if we viewed God as this loving, good, good father who cares for us, who forgives us, who lives in this umbrella of grace and not condemnation 
to say, come to me. I want to hold your hand and I want to say, rise up and live. So I want to pray for us and here and and this service will have, uh, I'll be up front and some other pastors and over in modern, you can, you can um, talk to a pastor there, but just think about that. Where are you at this morning in your view of God? Do you view him as a loving father? Because it will change everything. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves. And Father, I pray that our, our lives are marked by forgiveness and grace that only can come through you. And God, allow us to be desperate for you. Allow us to be like Jairus, to fall at your feet and say there's no other way that we can do this without you. And God, change our perspective of who you are. Not in this unhealthy fear of disobeying you, but in a healthy relationship saying, I don't want to disappoint a dad who loves and cares for me dearly. And not only does he love and care for me, but he loves everyone in this room and outside this building and in this community and people at my job and other people in my family where there's bitterness or whatever the case may be that God, you love them too. And God, allow that to resonate in our hearts in 2016. And God, as we do that, will you change us, change this church, change our community that they can see that we are desperate for you and live for you and you are a life changer. God, that you will come in and you will make things that are dead alive. And God, we are thankful for that kind of power that we can have in you. So thank you, God, for being a loving, good father and allowing us to be your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.